0: apologetics is wonderful, but hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. People are not one to Jesus because of your airtight arguments. People are one to Jesus because the Spirit of God has affirmed that He is the everlasting Son of God, that He is the righteous one, and that's when they cross the line.
1: This is Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author Crawford Lorentz. Ever thought to yourself, That person would come to faith in Christ if they could just hear so-and-so give a powerful apologetic presentation of the benefits of following Christ. Well, God could certainly use that approach in someone's life, but that alone will not bring them to Christ. Let's examine that today here on Living a Legacy. Crawford is leading us through a series on the Holy Spirit called Supernatural, and so far we've discussed just who the Holy Spirit is, the works of the Holy Spirit, and today more about the Holy Spirit and salvation. Our speaker has been in pastoral and organizational Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's authored several books and now heads an organization called Beyond Our Generation, which mentors those in ministry leadership. If you've not been with us for previous messages, you can easily get caught up on our website or other streaming services. Our text is John chapter 16. Now last week Crawford stated that the Holy Spirit draws us and convicts us. Let's look at three ways he convicts us. Here's part two of the message The Holy Spirit and Salvation on living a legacy. Now
0: basically in the text he convicts us of these three things. Number one Spells it out and Jesus wanted to be abundantly clear so he gives a word of explanation next to each one of these things that the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us, number one, of sin, of sin. Verse nine says a concerning sin because they do not believe in me, he uses a Greek word uh, translated for sin, harmartia, harmartia is the idea of not only missing the mark but it also implies rebellion against God. You have rebelled. You have rebelled. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney and the judge. Now here's where it breaks down a little bit. The purpose of the indictment that the Holy Spirit gives is not ultimately to judge us, but to bring us to salvation. You know, this is where the analogy falls apart here because he, he's, not, he's, not, he's not there to condemn us he shows us ourselves and he shows us that we're living in a state of self-condemnation. That's what John three eighteen says. He said to Nicodemus, uh, he who believes on me is not condemned and he who believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Father. And so he reveals our state of condemnation, that is true. But he only reveals that so he can bring us to salvation. And so when he convicts the world of sin, this rebellion against God, He's saying, I love you and I need you to understand that you cannot be delivered until you understand that you're, 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 you're wrapped in rebellion and you're, you're sinful. And by the way, the greatest sin as outlined here in the text, the greatest sin is not you know, some of the most hellacious, horrific things that we can think about, let your mind go there, that's not the greatest sin. The greatest sin is the failure to believe in Jesus. People don't go to hell because of hellacious and horrendous sins that they commit. Now, I'm not justifying that. People go to hell because they reject Jesus. They refuse to believe in Jesus. And he's convicting us that this is, you know, you're a rebel, Crawford. You just wanna live your own life. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. You don't wanna bow the knee to Jesus. I can't tell you the number of moral people I have met in my life. Great folks. Great people. Some of them related to me. You would love to hang with them. you love to be with their families. Wonderful people, but they're not followers of Jesus. And the only reason why they're not followers of Jesus when you pull back all the layers is that they don't wanna bow the knee to Jesus. You just don't wanna do it. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us that we're wrong. It's the whole idea of, you know, you go into a courtroom and you see uh, the person is accused, indicted. The judge comes in with the verdict. And you stand before the judge. The judge looks you in the eye. Says, guilty. Guilty. People are not saved because they refuse to accept the fact that they're lost. You cannot have a relationship with Christ until you embrace the fact that you're lost. You just can't do it. You cannot be saved until you embrace the fact that you're lost, and that's the tender work of the convicting of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he convicts us of righteousness. What does he mean by that? Look at, look at what he says in verse 10. Verse nine, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What, what, what does he mean by that? Well in context, it, it has to do with a faulty view about Jesus. You see, what he's talking about here is the righteous one. In that line it says, because I go to the Father, meaning that I'm no longer here. But it is, it, is the, it is the role of the Holy Spirit to exalt Christ. During this time, the Holy Spirit is primarily doing two things external. He, he's leading us in all truth, and he, ex, he is exalting Christ. And he's saying to us, this is how you're saved. This is how you're saved. You're not just convinced of your sin, but you're also convinced that Jesus is the righteous one, that Jesus is the everlasting Son of God, that Jesus did die on the cross in our place and for our sins, that Jesus did rise again on the third day, that Jesus loves me, that Jesus has the power to turn my life around, that Jesus is who God declared him to be, and that is a work of the Spirit of God to convince us that Jesus is the righteous one people are not one to Christ uh, although apologetics is wonderful we have a reasonable faith and we should be should be able to give a reason for the hope that's in us I'm all over that and I believe it I served in the ministry for 27 years that that, that believes in sharing the gospel and apologetics and I serve on this board I, I believe in all of that but hear me hear me hear me hear me people are not one to Jesus because of your airtight arguments people are one to Jesus because the spirit of God has affirmed that that he is the everlasting son of God, that he is a righteous one, and that's when they cross the line. So he convicts us of sin, he convicts us of righteousness, and thirdly, he convicts us of judgment to come. That's what verse 11 is all about. He says concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Well, what is he talking about here? Um, Jesus is saying that uh, by his death he defeated the devil who held the power of death. If you take a note you can cite Hebrews chapter two, verse 14, that that when Jesus died he broke the power of death. He defeated the enemy. So the judgment that he's referring to here uh, specifically has to do with the fact that Satan has been judged. That the way has been made clear for us to step out of condemnation and to walk toward him. The gates have been broken down. The gates have been opened. The walls have been torn down. Jesus stands right here. Death is not your enemy any longer. I think, however, there's a little bit of a secondary implication. And I think that what's underscored here is that people in rebellion should take note of Satan's defeat and fear the Lord who holds the power to judge. So that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He draws us. And he convicts us. Crawford, you are a rebel. You're wrong. My son is the only way to me. Jesus paid it all. And death and condemnation has been taken care of. It's been judged. Will you come? How's the Holy Spirit related to our salvation? Well, he draws us. Secondly, he convicts us. But thirdly, he indwells us. He indwells us. Let me, let me just back up and say, I, I alluded to, there, there, there are four, I've said this several months ago here, there are four primary works of the Holy Spirit that take place at the moment of salvation, and we don't necessarily feel any of them. These are four things that happen right at the time of salvation. I mentioned one of them yesterday. There's a little thing called ribs. I, I use it to help me to remember these four works. I learned it like 40-some-odd years ago, and it's stuck. These four things take place in the moment of salvation. One, he regenerates us. He gives us new life at the time of salvation. Number two, and I'm going to talk about this one specifically, he indwells us at the time of salvation. Number three, he baptizes us right at the time of salvation, and number four, and I'm gonna link this together with indwelling, he seals us right at the time of salvation. Let me back up a little bit here. Let me, let me say what I mean by indwelling. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action by which God takes up permanent residence in a believer. You say it again, it's very important. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action by which God takes a permanent residence in a believer. Now let me, let me yeah, I wanna make a very clear distinction. And the reason why I wanna make this very clear distinction is because some confusion about this. If you're a believer, don't ever pray to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're, you pray, oh, Spirit of God, indwell me, uh, what you're saying is that you're not a believer. We sometimes, we sometimes use those terms wrongly. What we, should, what we mean by that is to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit, the control of the Spirit, uh, I'll use this term, is, an exis, is the existential, moment by moment, work of the Holy Spirit in which he takes charge and control of our lives. But we don't pray to be indwelt by the Spirit. The moment we said yes to Jesus, he permanently indwells us. So we are indwelt by the Spirit. Well, you know, you say, well, why is that important? Because it is the confidence builder by and through which we approach a Christian life. That the third person, the third person of the Godhead takes up residence permanently in us. Not a part of the Holy Spirit, but all of the Holy Spirit. That's what omnipresence means, that all of the Holy Spirit is present. All of him is present everywhere at the same time in the hearts and lives of those of us who truly have believed. Now... Turn, if you want to, over to Ephesians chapter 1. The indwelling of the Spirit of God implies ownership. And number two, it also implies holiness. To be indwelt by the Holy Spirit implies ownership. And number two, it implies, it implies holiness. In Ephesians chapter uh, 1, beginning at verses 13 and 14, says, in him, meaning Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire uh, possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you write in your Bible, I want you to circle two very important words. In verse 13, circle the word sealed, and in verse 14, circle the word guarantee sealed and guaranteed, sealed and guaranteed. The Holy Spirit's indwelling implies ownership. It implies ownership. We don't negotiate with God about the nature of our Christianity. The very fact that Paul used the term that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I I wanna suggest to you that the church at Ephesus probably understood this Better than we do right now. Because he used a word picture that they would have been tremendously um, familiar with. The whole idea of sealing. A seal. You know when the Romans sealed a document? Put the official seal there. We, we do it today. Get a notary public to make it official. Or when, when the Romans sealed the document, you know what they did? Whatever the document was, they, they, they would take the document and close it and pour hot wax over it. Often they would have an insignia ring or sometime a a, a stamp with what represented the Roman Empire there and make an imprint on that. That seal symbolized three things, and I think Paul used it this way in, in order for us to get it. It also symbolizes to us what the sealing of the Holy Spirit is all about. The the seal symbolized, number one, this this is some shouting stuff right here. The seal symbolized that, that it is a finished transaction. The deal is done. Nothing else can be added to it. You don't mess with the seal. It is over. No more negotiating. No more input. It is a done deal. Our salvation, past, present, and future. We will never be lost. We don't have to negotiate with God anymore. When he sends his Holy Spirit, he says, Crawford, your sins, everything you've ever committed has been forgiven. In fact, the future sins have been forgiven. You have a place in heaven with me. It is a finished transaction. Secondly, the seal also uh, is a statement, I said it already, of ownership. This belongs to the Romans. We belong to him. We carry with us the seal of the Godhead. God Almighty, that's amazing. We carry with us the seal of heaven. You're owned by heaven. You belong to another world. Don't get it twisted, don't get it confused, don't have divided loyalties. You're sealed. But it also implies security and protection. And for those of us who struggle with the assurance of salvation, and trust me, uh, I went through a time many, many years ago of doubts, and I know how we can be uh, bogged down by those things. But I I want you to understand something. I know this sounds counterintuitive here. The assurance of our salvation is not really up to us to figure out. See, salvation, this is a, the salvation is a work of God. Salvation is vertical. It comes from God. If you have truly believed, even though you may struggle with doubts now and this kind of thing every, every once in a while, but if you have truly believed and you trusted him, you're secure. You're protected for the future. It doesn't count on you. It counts and depends on him. So the ceiling is a reflection of ownership. But also, verse verse 14 talks about ownership as well. Notice the expression, who is the guarantee? The who there grammatically refers to the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? I kinda wish, I kinda wish, uh, I'm reading the standard version of the Bible, it's one of my favorite translations, but I kinda wish that these dudes who translated this from the Greek would have left the literal meaning of the Greek word there. You know what that word translate guarantee literally means? It means down payment. Literally, it means down payment. That the Holy Spirit is the down payment. Oh man, this is amazing here. He says, who is the the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? That's unspeakable, man. He's saying, look, the down payment with a guarantee of more to come Paul is like shouting when he's writing this thing here. He says, look, I have not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has reserved for those who believe in him. The Spirit of God down in this journey when you're going through hard times and tests and struggles and all kinds of problems and heartache and disappointment. It is that spirit that says, I got more for you. I got more for you. You're going to a place whose builder and maker is God. There's a place where there'd be no more sorrow and no more tears. There will be a reward for you. There's a payoff on the other side. And that's what I mean by the indwelling spirit. So it implies ownership. The spirit also This indwelling spirit also implies holiness. I have been around for a number of years and been in evangelical circles for virtually my whole Christian life. And I'm gonna make a statement here. I believe 50 years from now, those who are writing modern church history, and they take a look, at church history, evangelical church history, from about 1960 forward, will be forced to cite a glaring omission in much of our preaching and teaching. And that glaring omission will be the lack of emphasis on holiness. They will call our time of church history the grand era of transactional truth. Not that anything's wrong with that. We will be known as evangelical pragmatists who taught people how to do things and how to apply the Christian life and how to live these things, and like I said, I'm not necessarily totally putting all that down. I think the Bible, even Paul, was a bit of a pragmatist in second parts of his epistles. But I can tell you, the lack of preaching—this is why, the reason why we don't preach much on the Holy Spirit. And yet, text says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And Paul makes a statement in First Corinthians six nineteen. He says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have for God, from God, you are not your own. And then verse 20 says, therefore glorify God in your body. The point being, Crawford, do you realize that living inside of you It was the one who's the agent of creation, who is the the one who's the agent of incarnation, the one who's the agent of regeneration, the one who's the agent of transformation, and the one who's the agent of inspiration. Do you realize that your body now has become his temple? I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty because this also implies not a pharisaical work kind of thing that beat yourself up. No, it implies just the opposite. The one that has the power to make us holy is living inside of us. So how's the Holy Spirit related to our salvation? He draws us. He convicts us. Not to judge us, but so they can save us and He indwells us. We need to look for those who are being drawn to Christ. As members of the body of Christ, God is using us to seek and save the lost and the Holy Spirit is drawing people in our spheres of influence through us, through our relationships. And we need to be a bit more intentional about that, be more aware of people who are lost all around us and how God wants to use us to draw them to the Savior.
1: Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy, the Holy Spirit and Salvation. The Holy Spirit draws us, convicts us, and He indwells us. The overarching lesson so far is that we need to pay far more attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and yield to His influence. Well, next week we'll look at what it means to be filled by the Spirit. Crawford is leading us through a series titled Supernatural, and we hope it's helpful. If so, write us a short note. Look for the contact link on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. This program is heard on this station each week because of the faithful support of listeners. For more information about how you might have a role in that, check out our website. Look for the link, Donate. Well, thanks for joining us today. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.